Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to Molyneux, the final Premier League game before we break for the World Cup. And we're going to be discussing some of the latest transfer rumours doing the rounds. We're going to be talking Mikhailo Mudrik. We're going to be talking Danilo. Have Arsenal made a bid for the Ukrainian? Are Arsenal confident of getting a deal done for the Brazilian, even ahead of the window? Some are reporting. We're going to dig into all of that. I'm going to be sharing with you guys the information that I have and and what I've been told around those two players. And of course, we'll be taking a few of your questions from the live chat box. Um, I have to be honest. I have to be completely honest. I haven't had an awful amount, uh, an awful long time, I beg your pardon, to kind of put this podcast together because um, preparations are well underway uh, at 90 Min HQ uh, for the World Cup, which is obviously just around the corner. We've been making loads and loads of content today that's going to be released over the next week. Really looking forward to you guys hearing that. Some great audio podcasts looking back on the 98 World Cup, the 2002 World Cup, the 2006 World Cup, the 2008, 2010, and of course, 2014, 18 as well. Yeah, I think we did all of them, uh, basically, in recent memory anyway, the ones that I can remember. So um, really looking forward to sharing that with you guys. And I think you'll enjoy them. Uh, they're a real kind of uh, memory jogger of uh, of how things were back then. And, and when you listen to those and, and you sort of listen to what we had to say and some of our, of our memories of those times, you'll realise that football has really changed a lot. I don't know if it's for the better, if I'm being honest. But anyway, uh, I digress. Um, <laughs> Mark says, evening, Harry. Uh, you can tell your show is doing well when you have to sit through three ads first. I'm sorry, mate. I'm so sorry. What platform was that on? Was that on YouTube or was that on the podcast? Because I want to reduce that. I don't want there to be three ads. That's way too many. Um, they do get auto inserted on some platforms. So I want to tidy that up a little bit. Three is way too many. Uh, but anyway, cool. Let's uh, let's get into it because, of course, the Gunners travel to Molyneux on Saturday night, seven forty-five kickoff. What is there a worse kickoff time in football than a seven forty-five on a Saturday? I don't think there is. People want to chill out on a Saturday night. If you get to my age, if you're younger, you want to go out and enjoy yourself. What you don't want to be doing is sitting there stressing over Arsenal uh, and their trip to Molyneux. That's that's not what you want. And there is a part of me that you know, should be incredibly confident going into this game. I know Arsenal were bad in midweek, but there was 10 changes made to that side. And it was in a competition for me that doesn't mean a, an awful lot at the moment, isn't anywhere near the top of a, of our priority list. And so actually I was quite 
I don't want to say happy because I wasn't happy, but I was okay with the fact that we exited. I'm okay with the fact that we're not progressing, uh, you know, in that competition. So should I sort of read into that too much? Should I let it put me on a downer? Absolutely not. You know, I, I think that Arsenal go to Wolves and I think that Arsenal win. I think we're a much better side than them. I think we've had a much better start to the season. They have, of course, appointed Yulen Lopetegui to take over the managerial position. But of course, he has not started in his role yet. I believe he takes on the role from next week. So there may have been some communication. There may have been just a couple of things sort of drip fed through. But ultimately, this is still a Wolves side that has really, really struggled of late. And a Wolves side that if we do have aspirations of staying at least in the title hunt for a little bit longer and 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 to the point where we're kind of right up there on, you know, post-Christmas and beyond, then we need to win this type of fixture, right? But there is this part of me that is nervous, and, and that's down to a couple of reasons. So I've mentioned the kickoff time, right? I think it's an awkward kickoff time. I really do. That's number one. It's away from home, so you can never feel totally confident, not in this league. The other thing that stresses me out about this game is the fact that the World Cup is so close. Now, I've been speaking to a lot of people this week on various different radio shows and podcasts and, and, and channels and whatnot. And there seems to be a general opinion and a general view that there will at least be some players out there who go into this weekend kind of half in it because of fear of what might happen if they do pick up a knock so close to the World Cup from fear that they may not recover in time for... What is a huge occasion? Now, look, there's a lot of issues around this Qatar World Cup, okay? There's human rights issues. There's issues around the LGBTQ plus community, right? There's lots and lots to dislike about this World Cup. There's no question about that in my mind. The fact that it's in the winter is another issue, another big issue uh, for a lot of people. But what I would say is that for a lot of these players who I'm sure feel strongly about the issues that I've just mentioned, and I'm sure will do what they can to try and address some of these issues and try and raise awareness of these issues so that things can be improved and, and things can get better. But to these players, this is still a World Cup. Right? I was talking to Scott over at 90 Min today when we were doing our show, and we, we kind of briefly touched on it right at the top of the program. And, and I said, you know, yes, this is a World Cup that has got a cloud hanging over it, but this is Wales's first World Cup for 64 years. How can people expect you not to enjoy it a little bit, not to buy into the occasion, not to, you know, enjoy the hype and all that surrounds it. So this is where I don't like when football, like football is a really powerful thing, right? And it can affect a lot and it can help people and it can bring positive things, but it's still not politics. And this is where you got to be careful because when the two come together, you then get into this space where, you know, I've seen some people today saying, so in response to a tweet I put out this morning, I said, Gareth Southgate, whether you agree with his squad, whether you agree with the way he manages the team, I think is a really good ambassador for England in the way that he talks about and addresses some of these big issues. I think he does it with class. I think he does it in the right way, whereby he offers support to these causes, but doesn't go as far as lumping it all onto football. So he protects his players a little bit as well but also make sure that he is, um, you know, he is obviously raising the issues, using his profile, et cetera, et cetera. Football managers, football players have influence and they should use that influence in whatever way 
they can to make things better. But what football players are not are the moral gatekeepers of this world. And that's what we have to remember, right? And and that's how I, I think about it. So for me, um, you know, as I say, a lot of people, re- I keep digressing today. What's going on? Basically, what I was saying was a lot of people disagreed with me when I said that Gareth Southgate was a good ambassador because they said, well, he should have pulled his England team out of the competition. First of all, that's not his his decision. That's not something that Gareth Southgate has the power to do, I don't think, to be able to, A, convince the FA to pull out of it, and B, to be able to convince all of those players, a lot of whom have worked incredibly hard to get to this point where they're going to a World Cup, that they shouldn't go um, in order to kind of to help deal and with and tackle the issues. And at the end of the day, unless everyone pulls out, then I don't think it's as strong a statement. And we're not going to see that. It's not going to happen, right? So going back to what I was saying, you've got the World Cup. You've got Gareth Southgate doing what he he should be doing, in my opinion, which is shining a light on the issues but trying to make it clear and, and and still making sure that that gap between football and those things is, or that line between football and those things is still quite clear. And that's, that's where I think he should be. And I think he's handled it pretty well. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but I think, as I say, he's handled himself brilliantly and impeccably. But, but, our players now, because of the fact that the World Cup will mean a lot to so many of them, are they going into this weekend fearful? Are they going into this weekend cautiously? Are they going into this weekend without being 100% committed? I bloody hope not. There will be players out there for whom this will be relevant, okay? There will be players out there who will be looking at their, their age and going, well, I haven't got too long left and this is maybe the last World Cup where I'm going to be at my peak or maybe my last World Cup at all. And therefore, I'm scared and I'm worried about how I'm going to feel and how I'm going to uh, deal with it mentally if I miss it because I picked up an injury away at Wolves in a in a Premier League game. That, that's what you're going to get now. OK, you're going to get that. Mikel Arteta was asked about this and I thought he addressed it really bloody well. He said, look, I've told my players that if you sit there and you think about the potential of picking up an injury and you half commit and you don't do things properly and you allow it to kind of cloud your mind, then you will bloody get injured. So what you need to do is you need to just be a professional athlete. You need to kind of forget about that, be committed, do your job, remain professional. And the chances are you'll be okay. You know, and, and that's, that's, I think the right way to approach it. It's not always easy to get that across to players though. This is the problem. It's not always easy to, um, you know, to to change someone else's mindset. Now, Steve says, Harry, I'm not convinced Mikel will accept the below par performance. Based on his comments, based on his comments ahead of this game, I am convinced that if he feels that anybody, and I mean anybody in that team is giving anything less than 100% on Saturday, he is going to be livid. He is going to be fuming and he's not going to react to it well. And that's what you want to see for your manager. And I said this to someone the other day. We were having a discussion on Twitter. A colleague of mine said, why on earth is Harry Kane playing, um, you know, in the Carabao Cup against Nottingham Forest? And I, and I turned around and said, well, what does Antonio Conte care whether Harry Kane's playing against Nottingham Forest? Antonio Conte wants to win a game of football, wants the the, the best players he's got at his disposal so that he can stand the greatest chance of winning the game. Obviously, they didn't. 
haha <laughs> great love it but what he wants is um it is his team to do well and especially antonio conte who has no investment in england whatsoever why my reply was why would he care why do you assume that everybody cares about England's chances at the World Cup. Antonio Conte does not believe me. Now, if Harry Kane goes out there and gives a below-par performance and shows a lack of commitment, that's on Harry Kane. But the managers of these Premier League clubs know that, you know, their jobs, in a lot of cases, hang in the balance based on what they achieved this season. And they're not going to drop points willingly. They're not going to make changes willingly. They're not going to voluntarily weaken their sides. And you've got to understand that and you've got to accept that. When the Premier League is done this weekend, then the attention turns to the World Cup. But until then, yes, the World Cup is, is looming there, but it's not here yet. And first and foremost, we have to go out there and do our bit. Now, Kaya Kainak was on this show with me the other day and he said that he felt that if Arsenal were to drop off the top going into the break, it would be a bit of a it would be a bit of a disappointment, wouldn't it? It would deflate us a little bit, given that we've been sitting top of the pile, given that we've been doing so well. It would be a real statement and it would be a real marker if Arsenal could go into that break, still top of the pile and um, and ready to come back and, and hopefully pick up where we left off with limited disruption. But yeah, anyway, look, I realised that the bit we were talking about at the beginning, it is a little bit sensitive, right? Because I know that there are a lot of people that have been victim and suffer um, from a, a lot of the issues that are being raised around this World Cup. And as I say, my intention is not to justify any of it because that, that's not what I'm doing. What I am saying is that there are, you have to be very clear in, in my opinion, in what you expect sports people to be able to do. Remember Jurgen Klopp last week? I thought he was absolutely bang on when he said, to all the journalists, you should have stopped this happening. You should have reported on this. You should have made a big song and dance about it. It's not always just on players and managers to highlight these issues. And what I think you have to do as a footballer, just to be clear, is you have to use your profile for good. I think you have a responsibility to do that. And doing good in a footballer's case, a footballer, by the way, who has no influence on politics or policy or religion, a footballer can use his influence, as I say, to shine a light on issues and campaign for good. But only the politicians, the religious leaders um, and the people with actual real life power can make the change. OK, so we have to be able to draw that line between the footballer and the politician, the religious leader, the, the national leader, whatever. Right. That's that's where we're at. And, and I think what we do quite a bit and wrongly is we blur that line. And we then expect sports people to cross that line and get on the other side and go head to head, toe to toe, however you want to put it, with people who actually have real world power rather than just influence. And when I say influence, I mean followings, I mean audiences. And so those are two very, very different things. I just wanted to clarify that because I'm not for a second suggesting that there aren't any issues or anything like that. Right. But anyway, let's get back to Wolves. So what's the team I would go with? Um, to take on Wolves, where well, the team for me picks itself. It, it really does. And, and that's the thing with this Arsenal side. You know, we're in a position now where we know what our best team is. We know what our best team isn't as well, because we've seen some really below par performances, I think, from a lot of the players that have been coming in uh, in recent weeks in the Europa League and, of course, most recently in the Carabao Cup. But my team uh, to face Wolves is Ramsdale in goal, back four of Zinchenko at left back, White at right back, Gabriel and Saliba 
in the heart of the defence. My midfield three would be Partey, Xhaka and Odegaard, as you'd expect with Martinelli. On the left, Saka on the right and Gabi Jesus through the middle. As I say, I think that that team picks itself. I think that team is good enough to go to Molyneux and win. I think that with Zinchenko, we've got a different dynamic and we've been missing that for a little while in our build-up play, I think, you know, the way he steps in field, the way he helps flood the midfield, tucks in alongside Thomas Partey when we're on the ball just to give him a little bit more freedom at times as well. And that allows him to step a few yards further forward. That allows him to look to break lines at every opportunity. What it does do is it means that Gabriel has a little bit more work as the rest of the back line shifts across. And we saw that at Chelsea a couple of times when um, when they broke into those half spaces. And the space I'm talking about is... Um, is, is sort of so Zinchenko comes into the midfield like this, and then what you get is you get this this area here, which is now Gabriel's responsibility as well as playing at left centre back. And sometimes what you get when we try and cover, you get Zinchenko running back in, Gabriel sort of shifting across, and then there can be a space left here, and that can be a problem. Or if you've got sort of Zinchenko not able to get back quick enough, and then Gabriel has to go inside. Then again, that space appears here in the half space for teams to try and exploit. And Kai Havertz tried to exploit that, didn't he, a few times uh, at the start of the Chelsea game. Obviously, not to good effect because Chelsea uh, really and truly didn't lay a, a glove on us that day. But you could see what they were trying to do and you could see that they identified that as an area of weakness for this Arsenal side. So that's my team. I'm not going to go over the statistics and stuff because I suspect that most of you would prefer to hear about some of the Arsenal transfer stories that have been doing the rounds today. So let's do that instead. We're going to talk Mikhailo Mudrik and we're going to talk Danilo of Palmeiras. Now, Danilo is a player that Arsenal were heavily linked with uh, at the back end of the summer transfer window. If you remember, in the last couple of days of that window, the interest supposedly became a lot stronger and there was a thought that Arsenal would try and get that deal done. In the end, they didn't think it was doable and they moved to try and sign Douglas Louise. Obviously, that didn't happen. And so we're back to square one in terms of bringing in that deep lying slash defensive midfield player, the player that's going to sit at the base of Arsenal's midfield. Palmeiras has, uh, Palmeiras is Danilo, I beg your pardon, has been identified. And according to some reports, doing the rounds today, Arsenal are close to reaching an agreement with Palmeiras and the full agreement could be reached as early as next month. So ahead of the January transfer window. Now that comes from a number of sources. What I've been told is that there is no deal in place now and that no deal is imminent. However, the interest in Danilo is concrete. He is the one that Arsenal really want. They're willing to pay more for Danilo than they were willing to pay for Douglas Luiz. And they see him as a much longer term solution to the problem in that midfield, to that, that problem that we have when, of course, Thomas Partey is unavailable. Now, I've also been told that Sambi Lokonga is not on the verge of leaving the football club. Now, a lot of people have kind of uh, been saying that of late and have suggested that he needs to go out on loan and all of this stuff. What I've been told was the situation, and this was kind of backed up by the comment that Mikel Arteta gave me the other day, is that when Sambi Lakonga was identified by Arsenal, 
they identified him as somebody who could come in and play the Thomas Partey role. They identified him as somebody who could come in, sit at the base of the midfield, had the defensive capability to break play up, to read things, to understand the game and to help his teammates out, but also had the ability to break lines with his passing. And actually, if you go back and watch a lot of clips of Sambi Lakonga, you know, whether you've got access to Scout or anything else, you will see that a lot of his passing in Anderlecht colours was incredibly progressive. So I can understand why Arsenal would have looked at him, looked at Thomas Partey, seen similarities and decided that they should go out and bring him in. However, last season, Lakonga, um, you know, had some good games, but he was, he was relied upon way more than Mikel Arteta or Arsenal had intended when they brought him into the club. He was almost fast-tracked. And when he was fast-tracked, a lot of that um, was as a consequence of Thomas Partey's unavailability. And so he went into that position. But over time, the Arsenal coaching staff, Mikel Arteta, believe and, and have kind of accepted, acknowledged, whatever way you want to put it, that actually Lokonga's best position, it's not there. They see him as a much more advanced player now. They see him as somebody who is much more comfortable in a number eight role. They see him as somebody who wants to play and needs to probably play a little bit further up the pitch. And he's had a couple of opportunities to do that of late. He did that in preseason and did it very, very well. Now, there's no denying that of late he's struggled to have the impact. And I don't think he's taken those opportunities that he's had in the eight position. But that is where Arsenal are at right now in terms of Sambi Lakonga. They made a relatively big investment on him for a player of his age coming from Anderlecht. You don't tend to spend that much when you're bringing players over from the Belgian league, especially ones who are still largely unproven. But given Arsenal did, they are willing to give him a bit longer. Now, Sambi Lakonga might tell you he's unhappy. Sambi Lakonga might tell you that, you know, it's not going the way he hoped at Arsenal and that, you know, he, he wants out. But Arsenal have zero intention, What I, is what I've been told. Um, of sending Sambi Lakonga out on loan or to sell him in January for that matter. When the summer comes, his situation will be reassessed and, and we'll see where we are. But right now, he is staying put. So Danilo, if he did come in, would be an addition. But there is a feeling and there is a, a hope among the Arsenal hierarchy that they can get this Danilo deal done in time for the January window because... They really believe in what we've seen so far. Edu apparently told them um, that this was going to be the season in which we really pushed on and the season in which we, you know, saw the fruits of our labour. And so the club's hierarchy, the Cronkies, they're quite happy if the right players are identified to go a little bit earlier than maybe they originally planned in order to try and consolidate, in order to try and kick on in order to try and maintain, I guess is the best word, the levels that we're currently at. So Danilo in January is a real possibility. Now, as for Mikhailo Mudrik, another one that we've been heavily linked with for a long, long time. This one is a little bit more complicated. Why? Because he's going to cost a lot more money. Now, Shakhtar Donetsk have repeatedly said that they want big, big money for Mikhailo Mudrik. And he is the golden boy of Ukrainian football right now. He is somebody who a lot of people have been impressed by. He is somebody that will be sought after. But it's understood that conversations between his representatives and Arsenal have taken place in the past. You've all seen him 
um, on social media saying that he'd jump at the chance to join Arsenal, that it's a club he really admires. And with Arsenal sitting top of the league, and again, this is really important as to why we probably need to be top of the league even going into January and, and into that window, is because people are looking across at our project and saying, I'll tell you what, it's working, isn't it? I want to be a part of that. Mikel Arteta's stock as a manager has never been higher. His appeal as a manager has never been higher. And Arsenal need to capitalise on that and need to use that in order to go out and get the players that they want. Now, Mikhailo Mudrik will probably cost, I would say, £40 million plus. Some people are saying £60 million, Some people are saying £70 million. I can tell you this. Shakhtar Donetsk, a club who can't play at home at the moment in Europe, are, you know, from a part of the world that is currently under siege, you know, a, a part of the world that is really struggling at the moment where a lot of horrible things are going on, have had their revenues massively decreased. They've got a lot of problems. And I'm not saying Arsenal should be looking to exploit them or exploit anybody off the back of uh, what's happening in Ukraine. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I'm almost certain that Shakhtar would accept less than what they're publicly saying they would accept for Mikhailo Mudrik. And the reason I bring this up today and the reason we discuss this today is because earlier on there was a report uh, coming out of Italy, which isn't the most reliable place to get reports from, especially Calcio Mercato, etc., etc. that Arsenal have made a £52.3 million bid and that we are um, awaiting a response from Shakhtar Donetsk. Now, my information given to me today is that, and I don't, you know, I don't do this. You know, I don't jump on here every week and say, yeah, I've got this information. So-and-so's brother's sister's girlfriend's cousin is a ball boy at Arsenal, whatever. I don't do this. I very rarely come out and say that I've got information. I've done it twice in the past um, and both times it was correct. But my information on this, and I'm going to, I'm going to be that guy today, is that Arsenal haven't made a bid. Is that Arsenal will explore the possibility of signing Mikhailo Mudrik in January. But there's been no uh, official bid lodged. That Shakhtar Donetsk have not received any official offer and have no official indication of Arsenal's intention to try and do a deal for the player in January. So this is nonsense. We're not there yet. Arsenal like him. He likes Arsenal. Arsenal are watching him very closely. But this is not at an advanced stage. This is not even at a stage where there is dialogue between the two clubs. So do not get carried away by this one. I just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Um, yeah. So that that bid, it, it's it's not happened. Okay. So there is interest in Mudrik. There is interest in Danilo, but neither, um, neither club, not Palmeiras, not Shakhtar, have been in dialogue with Arsenal officially over the transfer of any of the aforementioned players. So, we need to just chill out on that for now. There's going to be a lot of talk over the coming weeks, especially next week when we've got that lull between the Premier League stopping and the World Cup. You can bet your bottom dollar that there'll be tons of transfer stories. There'll be stories that people are writing up now ready to publish during that period of time. During the World Cup, there'll be lots of transfer stories as well because when players play well, they inevitably get linked with big clubs in Europe and we are a big club in Europe. We're currently sitting top of the Premier League. So, Prepare yourselves for that. Strap yourselves in. We'll try and decipher as many of those rumours as we can throughout the competition. We'll also be bringing you some content as well throughout, uh, throughout the competition. So the Chronicles of Aguna is not going to stop. 
just going to take a slightly different direction. But uh, stay with us. Make sure you enjoy it. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, any feedback around what you guys want to see during the World Cup is greatly appreciated. Um, but yeah, I'll give you guys my prediction for Wolves. I think Arsenal are going to win 1-0. I don't think it's going to be pretty. Um, I think that we're going to see some really dull matches this weekend. I think we're going to see some um, shock results, possibly. Let's just hope that there is no shock at Molyneux. So Arsenal uh, to win 1-0 is my prediction. Uh, I did say I was going to take some questions, but I've rambled on for way, way too long. And my missus is going out tonight. I'm babysitting the kids. She's going to kill me if I delay her getting ready anymore. So I'm going to go because happy wife equals happy life and all of that. But uh, we'll do another stream over the weekend uh, where we spend uh, a lot more time taking your questions. We're going to be live tomorrow night, Saturday night, reacting to the game against Wolves. And we'll do something on Sunday as well. Uh, and perhaps we can do a phone in and take some questions on that show. So do stay tuned. Do leave a like on the video. It really, really does help. Uh, let's try and get it up to 100 likes by the time the stream ends. Subscribe if you're new. And uh, and I'll catch you all very soon. I've got to address this first. Foot uh, Moss says, is it babysitting when you're the dad? You know what? I've had this conversation before, but given the way my children respond to me when I'm supposed to be looking after them or try to exert any authority uh, over them, then it probably does fall into the category of babysitting. My three-year-old is going on 30 and doesn't listen to me um until i get a little bit stern and then we start to get a response and my daughter well she's just a mummy's girl and, and doesn't want to be anywhere near me most of the time so i know i've got my work cut out therefore i class it moss as babysitting thank you so much mate uh, catch you all very very soon until next time all the best goodbye i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon. 